Welcome to The Edge and Beyond, a podcast by Intel, where we're making sense of use cases across industries such as retail, banking, hospitality, and education. You're going to hear tech considerations, best practices, how-tos, and recommendations. It's all here on To The Edge and Beyond. Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Edge and Beyond, the series that makes sense of use cases across industries, brought to you by the Intel Internet of Things group. In this episode, we're going to be exploring trending use cases in education, the innovation enabled by Intel's Internet of Things group, and more specifically, how using technology and rich data capture and analysis can help monitor student engagement and naturally improve learning outcomes especially as the long-term effects of COVID on learning outcomes and teaching workflows are settling in, we want to ask the question, where can educators and administrators take advantage of data to inform their decision-making in trying times? I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B, and for insights today, I'm joined by three panelists. We've got Mark Frost, Visual Collaboration Marketing Manager for Intel's Internet of Things Group. We've got Jag Minhas, CEO and founder of Sensing Feeling, and Duncan Peberty, EdTech Consultant at DroitwitchNet Limited. So I'm looking forward to our panel conversation. Gentlemen, thank you for joining us. Great to have you all on. Thanks, Daniel. Hi. Hi, Daniel. Thanks for inviting us. Pleasure getting to chat with all of y'all. We'll start with Mark. Great to have you on. Uh, what are you most looking forward to unpacking today on the conversation? Um, I think there's a couple of things today. I think it'd be nice to just talk about some of this technology in a broader sense. Um, we see it being used in certain parts of the world. And I think uh, many people are a little bit uneasy with it. Um, so today we're just interested in talking and unpacking the technology as a whole, uh, and also really trying to explore and tease out some of the interesting learning outcomes and, and some of the kind of new directions this ten- technology can take um, education in the future. Fantastic. Jag, great to have you on as well. How are you doing this morning? Yeah, very good. Thank you. Fantastic. Same question for you. Uh, anything that is really piquing your interest, you're excited to share on today's conversation? Yeah, I think it's um, mostly to do with the fact that, um, you know, this whole situation, um, especially over the last uh, nine months or so, has forced us to look at technology in um, very different ways, especially in um, you know various different sectors, uh, you know, uh, real world as well as online. So I'd like to perhaps share with and learn a bit more about um, our uh, outlook on, on that. Fantastic. Well, I'm looking forward to getting your thoughts on that. Last but not least, Duncan Peberty, great to have you on as well. How are you? Yeah, good. Thank you, Daniel. Good to be here. Yeah, fantastic. So same question for you before we get started. What are you most looking forward to unpacking here with the rest of our guests? I think the really interesting thing uh, moving forward now is going to be where digital sits within everybody's strategy. Everybody's included digital in the past, and we see more and more digital technology coming into education. But you know, how far up that ladder has it got to be? Has it got to be right the first thing now that everything else is going to every, everything else is going to flow from? As we need to connect up more because we can't be together more. All right. Well, I'm looking forward to sourcing all three of y'all's perspectives. Thanks again for joining us. Uh, Go ahead and jump in. So you all mentioned that there have been major changes in the industry. Obviously, it's a bit uh, hard to have this conversation without 
uh, talking about COVID. The pandemic has completely reshaped the education landscape, accelerated a lot of uh, already existing trends in the space, but then also left a lot of long-term impacts, all of which we'll be unpacking today. But let's start with getting that COVID context out of the way. Uh, As we move into the spring semester of 2021, what have been the engagement and learning outcome challenges that all three of y'all have seen persist during this pandemic? Uh, yeah, I'll go first. It's Duncan here. So, you know, we've we've seen obviously campuses have been closed because of what's been going on. Uh, yeah, everybody's been desperate to have that continuity of education. And, you know, there's a there's, there's people have different perceptions as whether technology is going to solve it or whether technology is actually going to sort of be the problem for what's going on as well. So we've seen that um, people have pivoted to technologies such as Teams and Zoom. And whereas on campus, everybody was really starting to pivot towards really small group active active collaborative learning and what using team to zoom one to many whether that's a class of 24 or a bigger cohort it's almost coming back to that lecture scenario again albeit over distance and so there's a lot of people not happy about that um because the engagement and the passion that you have from being in the in the space with the with the academic is gone when you've got lots of students just appearing as little thumbnails on a screen, and so some people, I, you know, I've heard lots of opinions. Some people don't like what's happening; they want to go back to how it was. Others are saying, "Well, actually, our challenge now is to innovate and find better ways, and actually find where technology can help us." You know, we moved to this situation when we weren't ready for it. We you know we weren't ready for it in lots and lots of ways we didn't know what technology students had got we didn't know what their connectivity was like in their own personal classroom at home if you like so it's thrown up lots of you know it hasn't just been a really gentle transition it's forced up lots of questions um, and a lot of it isn't technology some of it's just culture and usage you know that I hear again people saying you know students come into a classroom on campus and they and the tutor can see them there they're all in front of them but they're coming to class now online and they're choosing not to put their video on and that might be because they don't want to um let other people see what their home space is like or maybe they're maybe their connectivity so poor that if they put the video on they haven't got a good connection so you know there's been lots of changes that have been forced upon us and it it hasn't it hasn't all panned out as people thought it might everybody thought oh, it'll be it'll be really easy it'll just go and that isn't the case and we know that's not the case because um we're seeing here in the UK where we are that already for next year some of our governments are saying exams cannot go ahead because the because we're behind on delivering education to where it should be so it really has had a massive you know a massive massive impact yeah, I think to follow up on that, I mean, particularly like the IT um, challenges have been massive. You know, Intel as a company, I guess, is quite lucky. We have a lot of IT staff and we're, we're used to people working remotely. But if you have some of these institutions have never had to really deal with this kind of stuff to supporting students being work, you know, working and being taught remotely, which has been, you know, an unbelievable challenge for some of these institutions who've done an amazing job, I think, of rising to that challenge. And I think probably... Um, this will actually turn into kind of a, a positive going forward. It's kind of um, accelerated the pace of change for something that was probably going to have to happen anyway at some point in terms of, you know, having some students uh, remote and some in the room. So it's kind of a hybrid model. And so I think this kind of the COVID situation, there will be some kind of positives for this uh, longer term. Yeah, I think so. And just building on those, uh, Duncan, Mark, I think um, in effect, what 
the whole landscape has been subjected to is the you know imposition of having to use a completely new set of tools to support teaching and learning. And I think we kind of touched um, briefly on um, you know what I refer to as the digital divide. I think it's probably much more prevalent in the uh, younger age groups, um, sort of below higher education, um, but certainly uh, not um, uh, you know not um, completely. Um, uh, irrelevant in higher education as well. I, you know, just the technology. Um, you know, you can't you can't guarantee that the, the, the you know a lecturer or a teacher or an educator with a, a, a an online audience in front of them is going to have um, a consistent set of uh, tools with a consistent set of quality. So um, you know that 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 will uh, you know I think that that's forced people uh, and institutions specifically to think about how they can um, uphold a, a higher quality of education by somehow making more consistent the tools um, that the uh, students have, for example, to access that. And just sort of diving into where I think um, most of the impact uh, has been, quite obviously, is in, is in the taught, uh, the teaching process itself, the instructional teaching, um, which uh, in the last nine months, I, I guess, has, has been a, a mix of live and pre-recorded uh, teaching content, um, which by definition involves, you know, lack of person-to-person -person interaction. So no sense of visual cues, um, either between uh, teacher and student or student, student and teacher, but also um, students um, and students themselves. You know, we, we, we're all used to collaborating with them um, in whichever sort of working environment we're at, whether we're being, uh, you know, whether it's a teaching and learning context or, or not. So that's, um, you know, that's been uh, a very, um, you know, uh, sort of insightful uh, learning point for most institutions. And then I think beyond that, it's, it's um, you know, the tools that are used to set work and assess work. Um, again, you know, right across the whole spectrum from the younger groups right through higher education, you know, the challenges have been how to support um, that process of setting work, uh, receiving work and assessing work. That I think has forced a, a completely new set of tools. So I kind of touched on two two areas where uh, it kind of builds on um, what Mark and Duncan have uh, already stated as being the, the the most significant learning points of this year. I guess just to jump jump in there, Jag. Finally, just to say that I think the other point here is that um, I guess there's a feeling among some students of you know disengagement. Um, you know, one of my children is is at university at the moment, and and actually it's been a very good experience for them. But I think there is sometimes where they just they just don't feel quite so connected and so engaged and so kind of um, committed to what they were doing before because they are working remotely. And you know, this is this is another problem I think for technology. Can we use technology to try and help solve this problem with the students? Yeah, and I think some you know, I mean, higher education has always taken a long time to move forwards, but you know, I've heard from students in the last couple of months who when this immediately happened last year before the summer break had a sense of that you know we're all in this together and they cut the university some slack and you know they've come back in october thinking well it'll be better now there'll be d different ways of doing things and nothing's changed no nobody's reacted quick enough to 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 develop that it's that sense of belonging and that sense of engagement and as you say it's this it's both student to tutor and student to student and technology can do it but the, but the universities haven't adopted that yet. Yeah, I think um, you know it's kind of exacerbated by this you know this this fundamental problem of trying to cre recreate a real world experience um, in in you know online. 
there are, there are certain things that you can do and you can do um, very well. You know, you can engage a bigger audience because you just haven't got the space constraints, for example. Um, but the flip side of that is, um, and you must have experienced this when using tools like Teams, Zoom, you know, when you are using um, teaching aids like presentation materials, as an educator, um, you know, you're, you're, you're having to deal with the real estates that the technology presents you, which, you know, typically in today's environment, if you're working from home, is a limited size screen, um, which is holding your sort of presentation as well as perhaps giving you a view of your class. But the view of the class in that mode is you know, not, not, not likely to be um, every student, not likely for, to give you any sort of visual cues about how, how the students are engaging with your, 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 um, your, your, your teaching um, presentation. And likewise, um, the students aren't able to sort of feed off each other or even see you as the educator. So, you know, whichever way you look at it from student facing the educator and educator facing the students, you know, there are certain things that just fundamentally uh, are impossible to recreate in the online world. All right, I'm going to go ahead and jump back in here. Love all that. I want to pull on those last few notes that y'all had. Um you know, basically, if the experience itself isn't adapting and becoming something new and reimagined and not just like you said, trying to deliver that in-person experience, but online, uh, then I think we'll see a lot of success in adapting higher education spaces to be flexible, hybridized and and have that sort of long term vision. Um, but, you know, obviously a big part of that is uh, utilizing technologies to their fullest extent. And to do so, there needs to be some feedback, especially, uh, like y'all were saying, for institutions that may have never been working with a robust online learning operation. So what technologies specifically, both more expected ones or unexpected ones, uh, are you seeing involved in facilitating student engagement today? And if you have any thoughts on how data analysis is making those technologies valuable as points of feedback, uh, go ahead and share that as well. Yeah, actually, um, let's just pick on one, uh, which I think is probably the most obvious one, um, expected one, which is uh, video calling. So, um, and in fact, we, we all, all have witnessed this over the last nine months that, um, you know, using the video calling uh, metaphor as a sort of proxy for being there in person, you know, was, was, was sort of forced on us because it was the most convenient way of, of keeping teaching and learning going. Um, but what we have seen is the feature, the tool sets that, that build around that improving, you know, almost by, by the day. Um, you know, you, you now take it for granted that, um, you know, it's using the video calling platform to deliver uh, a teaching and learning um, environment is, is now complemented with tools like Q&A, chat, polls, instant polls. You know, and what those things do is, is increase engagement. It, you know, it kind of um, adds a, a, a kind of buzz or a vibe that, that acts as a better proxy for being, um, being uh, there in the real world than having nothing at all. And I think, Jag, that's across the board as well. It's not just the, the video conferencing. It's things like you know, collaboration technology, where we see things like um, the kind of big interactive touchscreens being used. Uh, and that kind of technology is being adopted much more widely now. To your earlier point as well about having a bigger screen, um, to be able to see, you know, and Dunk's point about seeing all of the remote participants, you need a big screen to be able to see that and the, and using the touch screen to kind of um, really kind of engage in a much more natural experience rather than just sitting in front of a PC, a bit like we are now probably, where 
it's fine talking, but actually trying to get a point across, you need you need some of these other collaboration tools. Yeah, so I, I would, you know, there's some out there already, and they do all the things that Yang just mentioned, and they base their, the, you know, it's a dedicated room that's put into a into a teaching space. And one of the features of that is that all the students appear, so there's two things as well. Well, all the students appear in large format. So you'll have a 55-inch screen that will have six students on it. You know, that is so much more compelling than just having 20 students on a, across a laptop as thumbnail. So, you, so, the, so the academic can see the student really clearly. But more importantly, the student has some, some differentiation as well because it's not just on one big screen there are multiple screens around the room and those remote students see the see the tutor and any other whiteboards and anything in the room from that perspective so it's creating more of a sense of being there and also the student has a so if the academic's got a powerpoint going they've got something whiteboarding usually you know with teams and zooms you share something and everybody sees it now with these with these bespoke developments, students can choose what they want to see. One of them might want to stay and look at the whiteboard for a bit longer or move to the slides. So you can have that choice. Um, the problem with them is that because they are bespoke and they've been very, very focused on um, executive MBA type education, they're really expensive. They're not appropriate at this moment to develop at scale and 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 use in a in standard teaching spaces because when they're not being used for that remote engagement, they've got no in-room use. And that's what we've sort of been working on the last few months to try and say, well, can we take some of those benefits of using a big screen, of having the hand up, of having those interactions, but make it make it at a, a you know a, a attractive at a cost so that it can be scaled out because you know these rooms are dealing with 30 40 60 maybe a push 100 students and i think in terms of um maybe some unexpected technologies um to your question daniel um you know we're seeing um computer vision technology being adopted you know very widely around the world and different lots of different use cases but you know if you look in certain parts of the world um it can be implemented in a way that would be um, upsetting or um, considered insensitive in certain other parts of the world. So um, that's some of the unexpected things we're seeing coming out of this. There are some really interesting bits of technology in using in, in use around the world, but it's how do we how do we take some of that technology and twist it or implement it in such a way that actually it's applicable to all. And you know, people think actually this is a really interesting bit of technology that we could use in our institution to help drive. Um, learning outcomes. Yeah, and uh, just picking up on that, uh, Mark, I think, um, uh, you know, it's, uh, certainly our experience um, uh, in delivering computer vision powered solutions into, uh, you know, ostensibly real world spaces, um, typically uh, with regard to better management of safety and risk in safety critical environments. Um, we're very um, interested to, you know, to um, Sort of explore how that sort of technology can be used in in an educational setting, uh, for example, especially um, around um, you know upholding and and supporting you know better student engagement and well being. And there are lots of challenges. You know, it's uh, I think Duncan just touched on one of them, which is you know how do you do that in a in a way that accommodates a mix of people being there in the real world space um, and some. You know, participants are, are attending remotely or online, for example. But you know, a good example of that would be um, 
uh, you know, it's an area where we've had a lot of experience in, in a safety critical context uh, where you're looking at very close range at, um, for example, a, a you know, driver of a train or a tram um, and, um, you know, uh, do, you know you, looking for signs of sleep deprivation, stress and fatigue in order to uphold the, uh, the, the, the overall safety of that particular context. Um, the same sorts of technology that can predict, um, you know, a human being in, in, a, in a distressed situation could be also used to help students in an educational setting um, or educators uh, and students in an educa uh, educational setting, you know, optimize teaching and learning through things like, um, you know, uh, being able to assess overall levels of engagement, uh, attention, uh, and uh, things like that. And I think you're right, Mark. I think the uh, the challenge is how to do this in a way that um, supports the overall teaching and learning experience, you know, makes it a great experience, um, eliminates any uh, discomforts associated with, uh, you know, privacy, for example, and, um, you know, just making it just a much more positive experience for both students and, and uh, educators. Yeah, I think uh, to that point, I think, you know, this technology is is probably coming, um, whether we like it or not. And at the moment, it's around, you know, how do we educate um, our audience to to the kind of benefits and kind of mitigate some of these kind of concerns people have around, you know, privacy. You know, is my face being monitored? Am I being tracked uh, when I'm at my um, institution? Uh, you know, so trying to trying to kind of mitigate some of these concerns that people will have, and quite rightly so, I think. Yeah, and actually, just to sort of pick up on that, uh, as a sort of to give you a real example of where um, you know a, a, a sort of application where uh, the benefits are clearly seen and used. Uh, one of the uh, projects we've worked on, for example, is um, in a you know it's it's very much a, a real world environment, so it's kind of like life sciences and lots of manual handling going on in a physical space. Um, perhaps uh, in in this particular context, it's um, educators teaching. Um, students collaborative, collaboratively how to um, operate, uh, you know, emergency first responder type uh, actions or, you know, forensic investigations. So they're operating in a real world space. Um, typically, that space be, will be equipped with um, audiovisual technology, which allows for students to play back their, their, their exercise, the exercises that they conduct and analyze it and, you know, seek to self-improve or for educators to to um, you know, provide feedback on on the way those activities were carried out. Um, you know, one can enhance that with things like um, IoT powered visual sensing, powered by sort of computer vision and AI, to actually just give to to sort of zoom in onto specific activities and you know without having to sort of trawl through hours and hours of audio and video recording, for example. So that's a great example of um, where um, computer vision and sensing technology powered by, by AI can be done, can be used in an ethically correct way that delivers benefits for both the students and the educators. I think there's a big cultural issue here as well, because as Mark said, it's, it's used in some parts of the world already. Yet here, sort of in UK and Western Europe, we've, we have this, we seem to have this negative view of AI that um, rather than being a force for good and improving well-being and learning outcomes, we think of all the things that could go wrong. And we think that you know what might happen to that data because if you're going to if you're going to have data if you're going to have computer vision that then leads to an intervention then that intervention has to be targeted at somebody which means obviously they're being recognised they're not just anonymous and yet 
actually the younger generation and even some of those older ones now we're all getting used to video you know look how viral and widespread things like TikTok are in the UK this Christmas there's loads of adverts on telly for Facebook portal where that video calling is just becoming the norm so it is. I, I think you know. It isn't. We well. We all know it's not really a technology thing because we know we the technology can do it now, and we see that you know some in some of these instances where where students are being observed, uh, you know that data is going to the is going in three ways automatically. It goes straight out to the parents. The parents can see how well their children's engagement and their answers have been compared to other students th through um, that that video capture, and so it's you know. It's how comfortable we are. Do we want it? Do we want to be able to say to our child, actually, you're not doing as well as you could be. You need to work a bit harder, you know, but, but we're not all pushy parents and not everybody's worried about educational achievements. So it's how it's how that relates to our own sort of cultural position, I guess. And then you also have um, in the same way that lots of institutions, especially higher education, took a long time to bring lecture capture in uh, part, you know, part of that was it was. It was about not the things that it will do to students to, to let them have access to the material again. So it helps them revise. It helps them understand things the second time they didn't understand the first time. It's about, well, you'll just record my lessons and you'll use my lessons next year. Or you'll you'll be looking at looking at my performance as a tutor to you know, give me feedback on how well I'm doing, which wasn't how it was intended. But people have these negative thoughts. That's how it might be used. So. There is that say there's, there's we've got to nail down how it's going to be used and try and change those cultural the, the way we look at it culturally as a force for good and not automatically thinking well you know it's, it's artificial intelligence and machine learning therefore if we're not careful it, it must be bad all right i'm going to jump back in here with a quick question for duncan uh, so duncan at droitwich net you provide consultancy to universities and manufacturers for learning and teaching in the higher and further education sectors. And a major part of that is making sure that educators have a healthy approach to integrating technology and design into their broader strategies, basically letting the technology be a part of the puzzle, but helping advise uh, end users that it isn't the whole focus, nor that you know it, it should be the whole focus. In fact, it's best when integrated into a broader strategy as a tool. So can you give us some examples of how you've approached this balance when advising on data-rich tech integrations and strategies, especially during COVID, uh, whether that is for really simple technologies like video chat or more sophisticated online learning platforms? Yeah, I, I think, um, say, during COVID, a lot of these developments have stopped at the moment. They're, they're not going ahead as quick as they should. But prior to that, um, you know, people people uh, do get hung up about, you know, we've got to have technology for technology's sake and put it in. And you're absolutely right. What you said, you know, it shouldn't be the whole focus. It should be part of the puzzle. And it has to, actually it must be the enabling part of the puzzle. Really, you've got to work out what do you want to do? What, you know, and right at the center of that should be, well, what are the, what are the outcomes you want for your students? So, you know, what's changing now is where we always just used to assume those students were going to be on campus. So rather than have them sit in big lecture spaces, what can we do with technology that allows them to to, to connect and collaborate in small groups? Um, can we get analytics out of that, that that tell us that that's working? And we can do that. You know, we can absolutely um, get levels of engagement and usage if we choose to. And then again, it can, I'm sort of bang on about this cultural thing. You know, with a lot of these technologies, you can just allow students to connect to it um, on on the fly, as it were. Or what if you what if you were to insist that actually, you know, 
all this technology comes with an app. So connect through the app, not through a browser. And then you know who's logged on, you know whether they're logging on with the groups of people, the same groups, different groups, how long they're logging on for, what sort of um, content they're looking at. All these things are possible to, to attain right now. And that's what the professional services teams want. So they, they want sometimes slightly different things to what the actual academics want. But they want that data to inform them about, um, to, to be able to, to match that to student outcomes. They want to show that students who've got better outcomes have actually been using the facilities they, they've put in. Um, so there's, yeah, there's lots, there's, there's lots of points to it. But I think, I think one of the things that um, COVID has helped to do it has helped to actually bring some of those uh, different, you know, the professional services and the academics and, uh, and and other stakeholders together much more quickly than they would have done before. Because I say sometimes just that technology used to go in um, without people understanding what they could get out of it from from a data point of view. And when we talk about, you know, we talked about all of these ed tech solutions as you know being about uh, engagement and about well-being and student outcomes, you know, if if you've got technology that can tell you when students haven't logged on, you know, you could run a report, which of my students haven't logged on this week, you know, now you can, maybe you can get some early indication that actually somebody is starting to disconnect, maybe not dropped out yet, but they're on their way to doing that. And that, of course, isn't good for that student. So, it's, you know, to say this, it's, it's technology isn't the sole solution to everything here it has to be the enabler you've got to work out what you want to do but uh, there's a lot more there's a lot more we can do with um, analytics from from these systems than we're actually doing at the moment right i want to loop everyone back in now um as educators and administrators uh decide to either you know refresh their technologies to be more uh, data focused and engagement focused or are adding uh, for the first time, what would you say are the key business and technical considerations for implementing this technology that educators and administrators need to keep top of mind and strategize around and why? So I think one of the things that um, just to sort of pick up on that is, uh, is how you bring previously disparate technologies together um, and you know I think uh, Duncan uh, mentioned you know, uh, you know these sort of variety of different data points that can be used to to help um, improve the teaching and learning experience uh, I, I think the example quoted was you know you know when did the student last log in maybe that can be used to to um, you know perform a positive intervention um, but you know one of the things that we're seeing certainly in the in the sort of um, non-educational landscape is a coming together of traditional communications tools. Um, you know, uh, we talked about video calling earlier, but um, you know, some uh, providers, um, technology providers from the hyperscalers are actually putting together, you know, integrating the email, the chats, the video calling, and, um, you know, and the, the files or document um, collaboration and bringing it all together in one place. So I think in answer to your question, it's access, um, you know, so in this scenario, there's one place to go for to to um, to meet all of your needs, and you can seamlessly transition from one mode to another. Whereas, uh, you know, email is very transactional and workflow dependent. You know, chat is highly ephemeral. But being able to switch from one mode to, to the other is is um, you know in this integrated uh, approach is so much easier. 
um, than uh, than um, you know having to switch context. So I think uh, you know that that to me I think is one strategy, if you like, that uh, certainly needs important consideration when in an educational landscape is how do you bring all of these multiple ways of doing things into a much more seamless um, collective uh, uh, portal, if you like, to use that word. So previously, there's been a real focus on everything being on campus. And now, of course, there's this focus of people not being on campus at the moment, and then there'll be a hybrid. And if, and all of those things are going to have to be taken into consideration before where they, where they weren't up until now. So there'll have to be this digital first strategy. There'll have to be, um, you know, the risk assessments that universities have always dealt with. You know, what if a building burns down or there's a flood or there's a, some sort of scandal? You know, there's short term things we can get over. We can move we can move students into other buildings temporarily, things like that. The the the. the realization is that a covid might happen again in two years time we might have to be in a similar situation so they are going to prepare for it and i and i hope that will mean that the the the, the digital first strategies that haven't been there will now be there because uh, and you know those integration of all those services that yang was talking about that's actually you know wholly fundamental to having a digital first strategy so i think you know that's where it's got to be. It's got to be um, what what we do moving forward has to has to work in all those scenarios. I was going to say just very quickly um, might help drive into some of the uh, stuff we talked about earlier. So one of the key business considerations, actually, if some of this is not immediately obvious, um, is around um, student well-being and engagement, particularly around student satisfaction. So you know, talking to some education establishments, um, a lot of them don't necessarily know how their students are feeling about the course they've been on until they participate, even if they do, in um, like an annual student survey, maybe for the National Union of Students in the UK, for example. And, and you know, those rankings are actually quite important. You know, if, if students are dissatisfied with the way they've been taught or um, their general experience they've had, then they may be minded to give a bad result in the, in the survey and then you know that actually could have a, a business impact on the institution going forward if you have a lot of students giving negative re reviews then when students are looking to go to perhaps a certain institution and they look at those reviews and say oh actually this wasn't great you know this course here didn't have very good reviews uh, maybe i might think about that course down the road so actually there is a, a business impact around some of this um, student well-being and student engagement and you know, whether technology can look to try and solve some of these problems for institutions. Quick question for JAG now. Uh, so JAG, you have more than 25 years of experience in technology innovation and product development, specifically around how IoT tech can be used to transform customer experiences, not just in education, but across multiple industry sectors. So how have you seen IoT enhance end user or customer experiences in other industries? And do you see any intersections with the education space's needs or any uh, unique ways that you're seeing tech used in other industries that you think are applicable for inspiration or otherwise? Yeah, I think so. And uh, one, um, to sort of illustrate that by way of an example, um, we've uh, you know, de delivered solutions involving visual sensing of human behavior in real world spaces. I mean, a really good example of that would be you know, a safety critical environment like a busy, crowded transport hub, think uh, railway station, airport, uh, and so on. Um, so our technology has, um, you know, a, um, a role to play in assisting the operators of those spaces with 
better understanding how humans, human beings behave um, in those spaces. Uh, behavior as expressed through things like, um, you know, the, uh, the way people move um, in that space, the way people gather, how they cluster, um, the sudden formation or unformation of crowds, um, you know, um, uh, velocity of movements, flow paths through a space, and so on and so forth. There's so many different ways in which you, you know, uh, applying AI to visual um, uh, analytics, uh, video analytics, for example, can be used to better manage that space, and in particular, better manage safety and risk in that space. Um, you know, so uh, typically a, a, a railway station or an airport hub might have multiple imaging sources in the form of CCTV cameras, maybe several hundred across the campus or the, um, uh, the venue. Um, but the control room, uh, which is responsible for managing risk on the estate, may only have, you know, something like uh, eight or a half a dozen screens. Um, so AI technologies can be used to surface uh, risks in real time to assist, better assist control room operators with, uh, you know, how the behavior is, uh, is playing out and how it correlates to risk uh, in that environment. Now, um, what, um, you know, there are clear parallels uh, to an education environment. You know, it, you know if we put aside COVID uh, for a moment, which has forced us all to look at um, online, look at doing this online, in real world um, educational spaces, there's a lot of collaboration that goes on. And I, by that, I don't, I, I don't mean to imagine um, a lecture theatre with a lecturer uh, addressing an audience of students, but it's where people come together, the educators and the students come together and collaborate on, on activities in much the same way that we would see in business, something like a hackathon, you know, where you've got groups of students um, in an educational environment interacting with various uh, technology, could be large format collaborative touchscreens to an area of the uh, physical environment where people are getting around a whiteboard or, you know, role playing a procedure together. Um, our computer vision technology that would um, otherwise be assessing risk in a railway station or an airport could be used in um, in the uh, educational context that I just described to help um, students and educators better improve the teaching and learning experience. You know, how do people cluster when they're performing an activity? Uh, how much time they are, are they spending doing an activity? And, uh, and you know, what is the, 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 uh, the sort of behavior in terms of movement, speed and, and so on? Um, we think all of these things are, are extremely valuable in an educational context as well. All right, Mark, Duncan, Jag, we're almost done with our conversation for the day. So I just want to say thank you so far for all of your insights and thought leadership. Last main question to uh, get your perspectives on. But uh, Intel is doing a lot to uh, power um, this transition to a hybridized and uh, remote engagement education landscape. And so I want to just get some thoughts from everyone on how you think that Intel's work in the space can help bridge some of the gaps uh, that we're seeing and provide some infrastructure for long-term data-led and technology-led learning. What are your thoughts? Okay, I'll take this one then to start with. Um, I guess there's, there's two things. One is perspective. Um, you know, the nice thing about Intel is we have a global perspective. You know, my team the team I work within is spread throughout the world. So we, you know, we get perspective from you know, China or North America or all around the world, and we can sort of help that to drive and localize um, some of the products and strategies that we work together on. 
Um, and then the second aspect is is kind of you know technology. So you think about um, you know our processes and our technology leadership in the kind of whole edge to cloud story, which is really important in the education sector. Um, through things like the software solutions, like um, for example, like the OpenVINO Deep Learning Inference Toolkit that um, people like Sensing Feeling are used to try and um, create their solutions. So we're just the enabler here, really, um, trying to help guys like Sensing Feeling and others to make these kind of amazing solutions that are really relevant in today's education space. Yeah, I'd like to say from my perspective, um, and I've sort of been working with Mark and his colleagues for around about six months now. It, just, it does open up that perspective. You tend to, you know, from a personal perspective, tend to operate in quite a narrow field. It allows you to talk to some of the experts that Intel have and they work with and, and get get that uh, feedback from the perspective of a trusted friend. Um, and that's been really, really helpful. And I think some of the things that we've been working on with the Visual Learning Lab and others have benefited from that wider perspective and that input from those other expertise that um, Intel can bring to the bring, bring into play. Yeah, and from my point of view, the future of education and the educational context uh, where teaching and learning is uh, playing out in the real world will involve um, digital, as I was mentioned earlier in, in the call, digital first, but also smart technologies uh, like collaborative touch screens, um, you know, uh, high powered uh, laptops and, and so on and so forth. You know, we um, education involves interacting with technology in order to get a fulfilled uh, learning experience. Um, Intel clearly has a play a role to play in that ecosystem, and we are um, taking advantage of that through things like um, the edge processing technologies, which allow us to deploy compute intensive AI at dramatically low power and low cost through things like um, uh, visual processing units, FPGA technologies, and so on. Um, but also the um, the environment, the software framework that that makes that that enables that to happen. I think Mark mentioned OpenVINO. Um, you know, we, we are using those frameworks to support our production environment. So um, I think Intel uh, has a, um, a very important role to play as an enabler in, in, that, uh, in that context. And I think that's a wrap for our thought leadership this morning. Thank you again to our three guests for this productive panel conversation. Again, we've been chatting with Mark Frost, Visual Collaboration Marketing Manager for Intel's Internet of Things Group, Jack, CEO and founder of Sensing Feeling, and Duncan Peberty, an EdTech consultant at Droitwich Net Limited. Gentlemen, thank you so much for your thought leadership again. And we'll go down the line here so everyone can share how our audience can learn a little bit more about you. We'll start with Duncan. Uh, Duncan, if folks want to get in touch with Droitwich Net Limited or um, uh, interact with any of your content or your thought leadership, how can they do so? Oh, the best place to go is uh, the URL learnfromanywhere.co.uk. Um, that's We'll tell them about what we're doing with Intel and some of its partners, and there'll be a link to get directly in touch with me. So www.learnfromanywhere.co.uk. Fantastic. Jag Minhas, same question for you. If folks want to learn more about Sensing Feeling or get in touch with you and the company, how can they do so? Well, yeah, we can. you can visit our website, um, sensingfeeling.io, and uh, that should give you a flavor of the sort of things that we do and the various environments that we do that in. And, uh, of course, there's uh, details on that website and so how to get in touch with the team. Uh, I'd be more than happy to 
to um, uh, follow up if anybody does have any questions or wants to learn more. Fantastic. And finally, Mark Frost, if folks want to learn more about IoT coming out of Intel, some of the work you're doing in the education space, or just get in touch, how can they do it? Uh, the Intel website's a pretty cool resource. You can see some really um, interesting technology and some of the new developments we're working on there. So check out the website first for um, technologies, products, and solutions. And if you want to contact me, then um, check out my page on LinkedIn. Perfect. Mark, Jack, Duncan, thanks again. Looking forward to chatting again soon. Thanks. Thanks, guys. Pleasure. Thank you. Thank you, Daniel. And thank you, everyone, for listening to this episode today for another conversation around Intel's Internet of Things education vertical. We appreciate everyone listening along. And I want to thank our audience again for tuning into The Edge and Beyond, the series that makes sense of use cases across industries, brought to you by Intel's IoT Group. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B. And make sure that you're subscribing to The Edge and Beyond on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and heading to our website for more content. Thanks again, and we'll catch you next time.